Let's give attention to the uh, public reading of God's Holy Scriptures. We find it in the 59th chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. And by God's grace, we will uh, read uh, verses 9 uh, down to the uh, first part of the 15th verse. Isaiah chapter 59, beginning reading uh, verse 9, uh, the word of our great God. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in, uttering from the heart lying words. And justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Uh, it's quite uh, epidemic, I think, in the life of the church that we sometimes reverse our roles. Uh, typically, when you read the Scriptures, we learn that, that we are priests uh, before God. We're to serve Him. Uh, but sometimes we make God the nanny or the butler, and uh, we keep Him around as a nanny or a butler to uh, take care of our physical needs, and we oftentimes uh, forget about uh, the great spiritual needs that we have uh, to walk faithfully before Him. Uh, and sometimes we keep Him around and we remain in our sin. and We, uh, we think, well, it's okay. Uh, he'll get over it. Uh, and so we, we walk blindly through life, uh, forgetting who we are and what we're to be about, namely the servants of the one true God. And the result of uh, losing our way uh, is found here in the words of the prophet Isaiah, uh, but uh, the other result is a tragic spiritual confusion. Really, if you, uh, if you think upon the words that uh, the prophet has given to us, it's quite terrifying. Uh, because a confused people simply get more and more lost. Uh, and they forget God. And that, my friends, uh, is an ultimate tragedy to forget God. Uh, well, the, uh, our text this morning is the result of uh, leaving God. Uh, verses 9 to 11, terrible confusion uh, comes uh, upon the nation. And the immediate cause, of course, is a low view of God and a low view of sin. Uh, the nation has forgotten who God is. He's the master, not the servant. And uh, they've forgotten that God is a holy God and that sin is a tragic occurrence. Uh, and we find uh, that in verses uh, 12 to the first part of verse 15. Uh, so again, the result of their, uh, of their sin is uh, moral confusion. Uh, we should uh, expect this. When you leave God and rebel, a spiritual disaster is soon to follow. Uh, we forget sometimes in our culture that there are consequences uh, to most everything in life, and there are certainly grave consequences to forgetting God. 
Uh, the language here, and we'll, we'll begin to rehearse uh, some of it as uh, time permits, uh, in my own mind is very depressing. Uh, it's something of a lament on behalf of the prophet given uh, the sin of the nation and the tragedy that comes into the nation. It should be for us a teaching point. should set a hedge about us uh, that you're in a bad way when you begin to neglect uh, the God of Scripture. Uh, the first result, uh, Isaiah says, is that justice is far from us. Uh, that phrase, far from us, is very instructive. Uh, any nation, and of course the nation of Israel was a theocracy in the days of the prophet Isaiah. We don't have theocracy in the United States today. Some nations attempt to have theocracies, but certainly the nation of Israel was a theocracy. God was the king. Uh, and uh, as they served their king righteously in obedience, uh, there would be justice. Uh, but here it is far from the nation. It is as if justice in a personified way has packed its bags and left town. And any nation absent justice will eventually begin to unravel and come to ruin. Uh, the word here speaks to the rule of God and the blessings that come from the divine order. But now disorder is the rule because justice is left town. Uh, something of this, I think, in the uh, words of wisdom uh, in the book of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses 30 to 31. A wise man says to us, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. In other words, it's not just that justice has left town. Uh, God is packing up and leaving town as well, and he will leave them to their own devices. The parallel in the text is that righteousness will not overtake us. Uh, righteousness is God's objective ethical standard by which he judges and by which he offers a cure for those who transgress. And now the cure will not come. Uh, what we lack before God is righteousness. God is righteousness. Uh, when he walks away from us, uh, injustice and unrighteousness will rule supreme. And that's where the nation is. Uh, I'm not so sure that our own nation is uh, long uh, in that matter as well, uh, as uh, injustice seemingly rules supremely. Secondly, the nation hopes for light. Uh, the word literally is to wait. Uh, we wait for light. A light in the Scriptures is a metaphor for salvation. They're waiting for light, but what comes? Darkness comes. Uh, when you don't deal with your sin and you live in it and you think that God will get over it and He won't know or He won't see, uh, again, uh, darkness uh, overwhelms and comes. And you might hope that someday the sun will come up, uh, but it never does. And darkness is supreme. Remember a number of years ago reading about uh, the history of our own state, uh, the Dust Bowl. You uh, lived on the plains, so many people did. And uh, you could see the great billowing clouds forming, uh, coming your way of, of the dust. Uh, and utter night would fall upon people. Uh, and of course, everything was made dirty. Uh, I know many of you are fastidious about keeping your homes clean. There was none of that in the days of the Dust Bowls. 
The dust invaded everything, touched everything, uh, fell upon everything. But the worst of it all was the incredible darkness. So much so that people fell into incredible, unshakable gloom. There were a number of, of course, many suicides in those days because people couldn't shake the gloom. And again, they would do themselves in because uh, they saw no hope in their lives and that light would never come. The incredible reality of, uh, of the days of the Depression intensified by incredible dust storms that seemingly would swallow everything. The spiritual representation of the nation of Israel I'm not so sure that it's not a spiritual representation of, uh, of, our, own, of our own country. Uh, yes, indeed, there's a light here and there, uh, but oh, in overarching sense, it's almost as if we're lurching into more and more darkness. A great uh, jurist once said that we are lurching into Sodom and Gomorrah, the darkness overtaking uh, the nation. Uh, we, we hope for light, but only darkness is present, surrounds us. It's, it's the result of playing fast and loose with uh, rebellion against God. Uh, the peril is, is that we hope, uh, we hope for light, but we walk in gloom. It, 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 it's just so when people are out of sorts with God. That God is light and life and salvation. God ultimately is joy. He's the cure for the soul. Uh, among all things, we are physical beings, but more than physical beings, we are spiritual beings. And uh, when one is out of sorts with God, uh, the chief component of a humankind, which is the soul, the spirit, uh, is darkened. Thirdly, the prophet says we grope like blind men like a blind man trying to, to find his way uh, along a wall, hoping to get to the appointed place. Uh, it, in many ways in our culture, we're, we're like blind people uh, trying to grope along and uh, find that which is right or find it, uh, that which will cure the soul. Uh, but, but again, uh, when you're blind, you have a way of eventually falling into the ditch. Uh, I'm not so sure when our Lord turns to the spiritual rulers uh, and speaks to them in the language that the blind are leading the blind. That even in many of our churches, uh, uh, the blind are leading the blind. We're, we're, we're like groping. All that we have is natural revelation. Uh, we know something that there must be something of uh, intelligent design, but uh, we shove it out of our conscience and continue groping along as if there is no God. Uh, and there is no effect, and there is no responsibility or accountability. Uh, fourth, uh, Isaiah says, we fall and stumble about like a man caught in darkness without a light. Uh, so he trips and always running into obstacles. Uh, next, verse 10, we're like dead men. A physical life, but uh, spiritual life is uh, gone, it's dead. Darkness prevails. Reminder that uh, sin robs you of spiritual vitality. Uh, sixthly, the, uh, the text says, uh, New American Standard reads, what we, we growl, uh, we, we murmur unintelligibly as if befuddled by our confusion. Uh, 
we're, we're like someone that has uh, uh, eaten something that uh, causes their entire system to be out of sorts, and they begin to moan and growl. But it's not a physical condition, it's a spiritual condition. We're terribly befuddled, we're in spiritual pain and agony, uh, but we find no light. I mean, what better evidence is of that in our own culture than the opioid crisis? Uh, people, again, popping pills for, uh, for really to cure a spiritual disease. They're out of sorts spiritually. They're hurting spiritually. I don't undermine the hurt. I understand that. People are hurting spiritually. Uh, but a pill is not the solution. Again, resulting in incredible death. I mean, I'm staggered by the number of deaths in terms of people uh, overdosing on opioids. Uh, parallel is, uh, we're like doves cooing, uh, moaning sadly. Always reminded sometimes on Saturday mornings, I go out into my you know, patio in the backyard to drink coffee, and uh, always some morning dove that comes and begins to coo. It's like a, like a morning song, someone moaning in spiritual pain. The reminder that human beings that get out of sorts with God uh, really, really get out of sorts with their entire spiritual being. Lastly, uh, we hope for justice and there is none. We hope for salvation. Notice, notice the phrase uh, uh, in, in verse 11. Salvation is far from us. How did our text begin? Justice is far from us. It's, it's moved away. It's left town. The things that are essential to spiritual life and vitality, namely the presence of God, has packed up and left and gone. And it's far, far away. We see it perhaps in a distance. We want God to return but we won't do the things that we need to do for Him to return, to revive us, and He won't come. And we go about spiritually giving the evidence that, uh, that God is far, far from us. So again, a low view of God and a low view of sin and simply playing around with spiritual things uh, becomes a great, terrible disease that has a terrible effect upon the individual, upon a family, and of course upon a culture. Incredible darkness is the result. Uh, it's my own conviction that our own culture, our own country is gripped by moral confusion. It abounds in a very powerful uh, and intense way. If you, if you would look, turn to the fifth chapter of, uh, of the book of Isaiah, the 20th verse. Isaiah chapter 5, in the 20th verse. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight understanding. I mean, you know, I, I ponder sometimes uh, uh, in our culture the, you know, the things we value. Of course, we, you know, we value life, uh, or, or at least we say we do. Uh, 
we value, for example, uh, you know, our pets. Uh, you get, get in a lot of trouble if, you, if you're caught abusing physically an animal that perhaps is your pet. I mean, rightfully so. I'm not arguing against that. Uh, but then we'll kill babies in the womb of a mother and this, as, if, as if, well, it's just a passing thing. I mean, a mother's rights is greater than the rights of an infant. A mother who is strong and healthy has uh, more important rights that trump an infant. I mean, we know because of science that uh, gestation, uh, uh, the infant begins to form very quickly into what is obviously a human being. We know that that infant in the womb of its mother, at a very, very early stage of life, begins to experience pain. Oh, but that's no big deal. We just snuff its life out as if nothing will happen. And we wonder why incredible spiritual ruin comes upon a nation because we think, well, there's no effect to any of that. Well, there's incredible effect, incredible moral confusion, trashing human life that God holds sacred, uh, that even an infant, the moment it's conceived, uh, begins to carry the image, the image of God, more so than the image of the parent, we carry the image of the God who is everlasting light and life and reason. But it's nothing to us. We snuff it out, go on about our business as if it's no big deal. But it is a big deal because we've trashed that which is sacred before God. I find it somewhat amusing, even though tragic, that people are recasting their own biology. I mean, how do you do that? Well, you don't. You can only pretend to do it. And that's as if what we're becoming in our culture today, a bunch of pretenders. Well, I feel I'm a certain person, but I can't change my biology. The biology is what governs, but we recast everything because we've lost our way. We've lost our way in moral confusion. We're like a blind man groping along a wall, uh, and we're lost, and God has long since packed his bags and left us, I think, as a culture. Uh, It's intriguing to me, even the academy, we begin to romanticize men that are almost the very embodiment of the purest form of evil, uh, like Mao. What an incredibly evil man. uh, Snuffed out countless lives. Brought incredible ruin. uh, Was incredibly vindictive. uh, Kept stables of young girls about him uh, just because he was so evil in his perversions. And we romanticize men like that, that, uh, oh, what great answers they have for economic stability and wealth. You've got to be kidding me. We call evil good, and good evil, the prophet says. I was always intrigued, and I understand it was in the middle of, you know, the World War II, but Time Magazine, 1942. You know who the man of the year was? Joseph Stalin. Really? Stalin was a man of incredible evil. No doubt responsible for the deaths of millions. And Time Magazine makes him the man of the year? How can that be? Because they lost their way. Because they lost the sacredness of God. And because when you lose your way, you can call evil good and good evil.
It's interesting that on any given day, Daily Oklahoman, you can read of parents killing children, of teachers abusing children. How can it be? We think we're so smart. There can't be a God. We're the product of time and chance. And we wonder that moral confusion has enveloped our culture. And so children can kill parents, and parents can kill children, and we seemingly don't have a clue as to how these terrible things have come upon our country. Listening to a sermon on the uh, internet, didn't finish it, but nonetheless, a professor of, uh, of uh, Hebrew at a Reformed uh, theological seminary introduction, he talks about problems that have come into the church. Uh, someone get intrigued by that. Uh, I, my home, we take World Magazine. The World Magazine oftentimes speaks about uh, problems that come into the church. Instructive about some of those problems, like spousal abuse. Really, the life of the church. Uh, but the one that intrigued me is one that I've read on in many number of occasions, World Magazine, Pornography, and the Life of the Church. And so the professor gives this staggering figure of, uh, of men that view pornography in their daily lives. And then he brings it into the life of the church. And you know what the degree of separation was from the world and the church? One percentage point. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I'll tell it not in Gath. Say it not in Ashkelon. Only one percentage difference about men in the life of the church viewing pornography and those in the world at large? It can't be, but according to World Magazine and the esteemed professor, seemingly it is so. How can it be? Well, it's because we've lost God even in, even in the church. We've rejected the sovereignty of God. We've ordained immorality. We've jettisoned essential truths. And you know what's come in our doors in the life of the church? The world has come in and found a home, and it's at peace. And they hear moral lectures, but they hear nothing of the majesty of a sovereign, glorious God who rules upon his throne and who's gathering his people through Jesus Christ, the Savior. We're swamped by relativism and subjectivism. And when you supplant God with humanity, Chaos is the result. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57, verses 20 to 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, and it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Just as true, sadly as the case might be, in many churches in uh, our country as it is in the world at large. Well, the cause of such confusion, of course, is nothing more uh, than sin. Uh, verses 12 to the first part of verse 15. Left unchecked, it destroys. It's like a little old tiny virus. Gains entrance into the body. Very small. Seemingly undetectable. Uh, but over time, everything is destroyed. Everything is touched. And uh, the soul of a man or a woman is totally gutted from the inside out. Verse 12, transgressions are multiplied before God. And again, he's speaking of the theocracy. 
transgressions are multiplied. And our sins witness against us. Sins answer us. Uh, I mean, when I read the Daily Oklahoman of parents killing children, children killing parents, I know, I know what the witness is. That men and women and boys and girls have lost their way and God has left town. And there is absolutely no hope and a culture is unraveling for our very eyes. Beginning in verse 13, there are six infinitives of heightened action telling us that the nation is long in their rejection of God in their actions, transgressing, denying, turning away, speaking apostasy, conceiving and uttering lying words. And notice, notice again the outcome, the result, the effect. Uh, verse 14, justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. Far away. Uh, something is in terrible sorts, uh, but justice is standing far away. We, we, we want it to come, but we, we don't want to deal with our sins, so it does not come. Uh, what they need will not come because what they need to do, they will not do. And that is repent of their sins and acknowledge that God is holy and righteous and that we are desperately dependent upon Him every day for His grace to sustain us, protect us, and keep us. Uh, the prophet personifies truth. Truth stumbles in the street. Uh, truth is so rejected uh, that there's no one to care for truth. And so it's stumbling along. And no one cares about it. Uh, uh, and so they reject it. And truth is like the orphan that no one wants. Uh, and so it stumbles and wanders in the streets because no one cares about truth. But again, and I remind you of essential realities of the Christian faith. That there are ministers and pulpits, low as I'm speaking, who deny the incarnation, who deny the resurrection of Christ. They, want, they may not say that, but they believe that and their lives are given to it. Only if we knew to ask the right questions would we know. But when you're not taught and instructed, you don't even know the right questions to ask. And so truth stumbles in the street like a forgotten orphan that no one cares about or cares for. And a brightness will not enter. No one wants it. No one wants it. It's all a scene of despair, desperation, and despondency. All hope is gone, Isaiah is saying. That God has left them to their own devices. We find this, we'll find it in Isaiah in its latter chapters, but book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 29, uh, verse 4, is a sad commentary. Uh, Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. No wonder they're confused. Because the grace of God has vacated the nation. They do not know, they cannot see, they cannot hear. But I simply remind you, you play around with sin. Your eyes will grow dim. Well, it's a terrible disease. Thankfully, in the grace of God, there's always a cure. It's the majesty of God's goodness that God... God has a cure. That cure is a high view of Himself uh, and a high view of sin. 
and a high view of sin and understanding what sin really is drives you to God, the hope of salvation, part of the cure. Uh, in Isaiah, the theology, the unfolding of the theology of the prophet, that's central, central to the new creation and the theology of Isaiah, central in the theology of the prophet Isaiah, the new exodus, is a servant son. And what does the servant son do? Let's look at one such example. That God sends a greater servant who's a son uh, identified for us in the New Testament as of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 42, uh, in verses 7 to 9. The first servant song. That he comes to open blind eyes to bring prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. That the servant come, servant son comes to effect a new creation. And the forgiveness of sin and guilt is affecting uh, satisfaction upon the cross. That he has set the cure in motion so sin cannot destroy us infect us with deception. And unlike those who are outside of the Son, outside of Christ, outside of the new creation, which is, uh, begins in a spiritual event, we are and always will be forgiven. The slate wiped clean. The servant's son deals with sin because we could not and would not so he comes to deal uh, with it for us. And again, very familiar verses, but we should never lose sight of what they mean. Now, the Psalter, Psalm 51, verse 7. If, you, if you're not a Christian, you don't know the Lord, or if you profess to be a Christian, but you're playing fast and loose with those things that you ought not to play fast and loose with, Hear the words of the psalmist, 51 and verse 7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. That God comes with the eventual cure in the servant, son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, they were looking forward to him. You and I look back at the cross and all that it means and what God does. Uh, very instructive uh, verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. That God cleanses His people opens their eyes and stops their ears. The penalty removed. And I love the phrase in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far is it removed my sin from him. It's a great distance between east and west. The point is a figure, because how do you measure the distance? Uh, the farther you move west, the farther east is away, and vice versa. The grace of God comes to effect cure for a nation stumbling in moral confusion. Uh, and again, the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Greatest promise of all time. 
God simply hits the delete key. Again, speaking figuratively. Uh, but he deletes the effect. Uh, even as Christians, we are still fallen, but he's dealing by the work of the Spirit with our sin, sanctifying us, and washing us, and purifying us, and getting us ready for eternity. As far as the east is from the west, a great reminder. Uh, the, uh, the darkness that was overtaking uh, the nation of Israel, uh, the word overtake uh, in our passage from Isaiah in the ninth verse, in, uh, in the Greek text, uh, the Old Testament, uh, that word is used in the Gospel of John, uh, in verse 5. It's a great reminder that there is incredible darkness and so God comes in light. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, 5th verse. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overtake it. Uh, that Christ is light, and he comes, and the darkness flees in his presence. Uh, certainly true on a national level, but an individual level. Think about that. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, darkness owns you. Uh, when Christ comes, the darkness goes into headlong retreat. Uh, cannot, the darkness cannot defeat the light. We get up some morning before, before the sun shines and you see the great dark skies, and you see the stars, and darkness is always about you. Uh, and then what happens? The sun begins to rise, and darkness retreats until the light owns the day. That's the hope of the Christian. We know the light in Jesus Christ, and the light is advancing. And one day, the light will own, own lock, stock, and barrel, the culture and the life in which we live. And eternity will become manifest, visible and physical. And we as the sons of God will know the joy of the end state of our salvation, eternal joy. Never forget, the darkness will never defeat the light. As gloom as a picture as I painted upon our rotting culture, Christ is the Lord. He's gathering His people. The light is advancing. So Christ is the answer of despair. He defeats the darkness. Uh, we can hope and wait upon Him and will not be disappointed. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 3, and th verse 3 and verse 21. Those who wait upon the Lord will not be ashamed. God will recover us. And we will be more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us. Uh, we eventually will win because we belong to the light. And as to the confusion, He rescues us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not perish. The new exodus, we shall run and skip, moving to heaven. Uh, the metaphor of the eagle, of course, is the metaphor of salvation. Uh, it's used in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 4. Uh, salvation of the nation that really ultimately breaks upon us. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. But the great eagle comes and rescues his people, uh, the sons of God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 
Verse 11, again, uh, the reality that breaks for us in Jesus Christ. 11th verse of the 32nd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinion. Uh, and the Lord alone guided them, and there was no foreign God with him. That's what God does for us in Christ. Uh, conceptual parallel of all of this uh, is found, uh, I think, in a very beautiful sense in a text that we have uh, looked at uh, previously, uh, Isaiah chapter 51. Uh, Uh, there's a righteous remnant that begins to pray. Verses 9 and 10. Uh, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not thou who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not thou who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a highway for the redeemed to cross over? That's their prayer. God, God restore us and revive us. They repaired to redemptive history what God did in defeating Egypt and Pharaoh in the Exodus. Notice the phrases in the days of old. Well, God is doing that again this very day because you and I are the sons of Christ and the sons of the new Exodus. And God is drying up the seas of deception that we might march safely uh, into His eternal presence. They're asking God to repeat His past acts of deliverance through the sea. Notice the answer of God. So the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. Everlasting joy will be on their heads and they will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Incredible promise. Sorrow and sighing will be in total retreat the people of God. It's what our world is struggling with. It's why people pop pills or use drugs. Incredible spiritual malady to try to find some relief. For the Christian, it comes in Jesus Christ. You know the Savior. Sorrow and sighing begin to pack up their bags and slowly vacate your soul. The ransom return because God had paid a price for release and the bondage of sin. Uh, John, as you know, alludes to this text in Revelation 24, pardon me, 21, uh, in the fourth verse. Now, Revelation chapter 21, uh, in the fourth verse. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have fled away. Uh, the instate of the new creation that's begun because Christ has invaded this earth greatest invasion of all time and the life is the light of salvation is advancing and for us mourning and pain and salvation are in retreat because of our savior we pray and god makes safe passage there is no future for the wicked but there is for the remnant of christ we trust the lord he'll take us the distance while the lost grope about for meaning and purpose, we know by special revelation and the witness of Scripture that we are the sons of God. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit as an unassailable divine witness affirming our adoption, amplifying the benefits of sonship so that we are not left to doubt as to our standing before God. And eventually the sons of God will be revealed 
And the new order will become visible and physical. Uh, now it's a spiritual event, but someday, may God hasten that day, will become physical and visible. That the Spirit is our assurance and earnest in this present day. That abandonment and disloyalty is not the way of God for those who are His sons. It's like a mighty arm that makes us alive and keeps us uh, in that way. And unlike the despairing and muttering of those who have lost their way, we have purpose and meaning stemming from a high view of God and what He did for our sin in the servant son and what He's doing for us in the presence of the Spirit. So while many forget God, we follow God. While many know only the disease, you and I, because of our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, possess the greatest cure of all time. And sorrow and mourning and sadness and discouragement and despair are slowly packing their bags and will one day totally vacate our being. The world is in terrible straits. Not so those who belong uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to close this morning reading from the Psalter, uh, Psalm 80, uh, verses 18 and 19. Uh, cry of the heart. If you're not a Christian, it could be the cry of your heart this day. If you're a Christian that uh, perhaps needs to deal with sin, let it be the cry of your heart this day that joy would return to your soul and that you might uh, continue steadfastly in the great last great exodus to heaven. Then we shall not turn back from thee. Revive us. We will call upon thy name. O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause thy face to shine upon us. And we shall be saved in the light of the glory of the risen Savior will shine upon your soul and darkness will be in perpetual retreat. May it be so in our church, our families, our souls. Someday as it will be in the new order when Christ comes finally to rescue His people and to place us into eternal joy in the magnitude of His presence, the glory of the Son of God. Cry of the heart. Come, Lord, make it so. And one day it will be because of who Christ is. And may we continue to be faithful looking to Him until that day. Amen.